Welcome to All Vampires Are Gay, a serialized narrative podcast created by Corbin Rosewood. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcasting platforms. If you like the show, please consider supporting our work. All Vampires Are Gay is made possible because of listeners like you. You can help out by becoming a patron, shopping our merch, and of course, telling your friends about the show. You can find all the ways to support us and more at our website, CorbinRosewood.com. Now on with the show. Season 2, Episode 4. It's not a heist. Welcome, I'm Corbin Rosewood, and tonight we return to London, where Victor and his friends are finally heading to Highgate on the evening of a full moon, on a quest to find an enchanted dagger. London Underground. As the darkness descended upon London, the four vampires made their way to the underground subway station. They cut a swath through the crowd with their imposing good looks, all black attire, and ominous bulging duffel bags. As Victor had predicted, they weren't exactly inconspicuous, but that was probably fine because their enemies didn't expect them to be taking the subway. Victor looked pretty much as he always did, wearing all black everything except his silver necklace. He had briefly considered skipping his coat for stealth reasons, but he just didn't feel right without it, so he'd worn a simple black trench coat. Jin was also wearing a coat, making sure to conceal her wings from any passers-by on the London Underground. She was a little uncomfortable to be wearing all black, but it looked surprisingly good on her. Robert had raided Victor's closet earlier in the day for an appropriate ensemble and came out with a black turtleneck sweater and combat boots. He looked exactly like someone about to commit a heist, and he was loving every minute of it. Samson, of course, had multiple pre-planned outfits for such an occasion, with only the most stylish and functional black sportswear. They had even ditched their high heels, which simply would not be helpful over the rough terrain of the overgrown cemetery. When they arrived at the subway station, all four of them were on edge, looking at every citizen like they might be a spy, keeping an eye on everything. They'd had a few blood bags and done shots of whiskey before they left. Everyone felt jittery and anxious, ready for whatever strange events the night might hold. Which line was it again? Jin asked, looking at a subway map on the wall with a scrunched up expression. Samson was buying their tickets while Victor kept watch on the area around them, glaring at passersby intimidatingly. Um, I think it was this one here, Robert said, pointing at the map. Then we get out there. Are you sure? This one says Highgate, Jin said. Yes, but the archway stop is actually closer. There isn't a station right by it. I think we'll just have to get out there and walk the rest, Robert said. Good, Samson said, 
turning around briskly and handing everyone their subway cards. It's best if we come from a few streets away anyway. That way we can fully check the area before we approach. Do you really think Liren might be there with the Chevaliers? Robert asked nervously. Possibly, or anyone else, Samson replied. Even if no one knows we are going here tonight, Highgate Cemetery is a magical ritual site watched by the most powerful coven in London. There's no telling what might be happening or who might be there on a full moon. Look, our train is arriving. We have to hurry, Jin said, pointing as the large metal car whisked into the station. She jutted out ahead and ran down the platform, the rest of them following her like a pack of black crows weaving through the subway crowds. They finally pushed their way onto the train, blinking in the bright lights of the subway car. Victor looked around him with a bemused expression. This was certainly an unusual way to travel. He rarely traveled with so many humans, and it was a bizarre experience. He didn't like the subway, of course. Just like cars and airplanes, it was far too small, and he always felt out of control. But at the moment, he was too distracted to think about it much. His focus was on his friends and what they were about to do. He felt his pulse rise as he thought about going into a witch's ritual site on a full moon. He hadn't realized just how big an undertaking this was, how dangerous and possibly reckless it was to go after the dagger like this. This was well beyond the type of things him and his friends usually got involved in. His gaze fell on Robert, tapping his foot nervously and checking the subway car doors as they waited for the train to depart. He felt a little lump in his throat as he thought about Robert falling from the window ledge yesterday and how unprepared he was for this. The truth was, none of them were really ready for something like this. They didn't know what Liren was up to or what they were really getting into, but they didn't have much choice. They had to stop him. Victor knew that for sure, and this dagger was the answer. Finally, the car departed with a lurching motion, and they were off, winding their way under the busy streets of London at high speed. Almost immediately, Victor felt somewhat nauseous and ill at ease. He took a deep breath and looked around the subway car to distract himself. The four of them were standing in the middle, holding onto the poles with their bags of supplies on their shoulders. As he looked around, he realized quite a few of the humans in the car were looking at them curiously. Most of them were pretending not to, looking up from books or phones to peer at them every now and then. It was then Victor realized that they looked rather unusual with their all-black clothes and big bags of equipment. Right in front of him, there was an elderly man in a chunky knit sweater who was unabashedly staring right at him. Victor met his stare and didn't back down. He shrugged his shoulders, daring the man to say something. The old man held his gaze, and finally he tapped his cane on the floor and said, What's all this then? Victor gave him a cold and deadly stare warning him that there would be no further questions, and said, Haven't you ever seen a goth band before? Scene Highgate Cemetery 
A short train ride later, and they arrived at their destination. The moon was climbing high in the sky, and its soft glow lit up the dark city streets. They moved quickly and quietly, with Samson leading the way, darting from one hiding spot to the next, taking them from the subway up the city streets towards Swain's Lane. No one said anything until at last they arrived at the imposing stone and iron gates of Highgate Cemetery. Victor looked up at the large archway, which looked quite ominous in the moonlight, and took a deep breath. He felt a tingling up his spine, something dangerous and bad, but there was nothing to be done. They had flown across the world for this moment. They weren't going to stop now. Samson approached the large metal padlock with a very professional-looking lock-picking kit and began to fiddle with the lock. Won't there be magical locks? Robert whispered nervously. Jin shook her head. Not on the visitor gate. This is used by humans all day. It's a popular tourist attraction. They will probably only put protection spells on the items themselves. That's what we'll have to watch out for. The padlock came undone quickly, and Samson smiled with satisfaction. Enjoying your espionage hobby, Victor said with a smirk. You know what? Right now I really am, Samson replied, as the gates swung soundlessly open with ease. They walked through the gates and looked at the expanse of overgrown plants and gravestones in the distance. Highgate felt more like a jungle than a cemetery, with creeping vines and drooping trees reclaiming the gravestones in the name of Mother Nature. But they were not there to admire the cemetery's natural beauty. They had a mission. Samson set their bag down on the pavement by the entrance and began to pull out the items they would need before entering the cemetery. They pulled out daggers and knives of various types, some with poison on the blades and some without, and handed them to everyone. Then they pulled out their own weapon, a crossbow, and loaded it. Next was the lanterns. They pulled out three antique oil lanterns and lit them, their dreamy glow casting a warm yellow light which illuminated the trees and gravestones magically. Ooh, what are these for? Robert asked. Samson looked up and then handed Victor a lantern. Light, they said simply. Right, but like, why aren't we using flashlights? Robert asked. The ritual site tends to mess with modern devices in weird ways, Jin explained, as she picked up a lantern herself and admired its beauty. But this works just as well, and it's gorgeous too, isn't it? Samson finished unpacking their bag of weapons and stood up, holding their crossbow and lantern, their eyes scanning the overgrowth for any sign of enemies. I think we're ready now, they said, looking towards the pathways winding into the foliage. Isn't there more security? Robert asked, looking at the padlock Samson had put down gently on the ground beside the gate. This seems a bit light. It has to look like a regular cemetery, Samson explained, which normally wouldn't have much security. Mrs. Whitaker has a few witches who live in the apartments nearby to watch over it. And of course, there are security cameras everywhere. Robert looked up, alarmed. There are? 
Yes, but this isn't my first rodeo. Obviously, I've already dealt with them, Samson said with a touch of pride. I hacked into their system and looped the video feeds for the next few hours. Samson takes their hobby very seriously, Victor quipped, patting them on the shoulder. You could be appreciative, you know, Samson said, frowning. We appreciate you, Samson, but can we please focus, Jin said. We only have a few hours until midnight, and I don't know how long it will take us to find the old rowan tree. Not long at all. It's that one, Victor said, pointing to a dark, drooping tree in the distance. What makes you say that? Jin asked, narrowing her eyes to see the tree better in the dim moonlight. I looked it up online, Victor replied, smiling smugly. Samson raised an eyebrow. I'm sorry, what? I can do research too, Victor said, looking tremendously proud of himself. I went on the Highgate website, and they had sections on some of the more well-known graves, like Douglas Adams and Karl Marx. It seems that the ghost of Old Mary is a bit of a local legend, and they had a photo of the tree on the website. That's brilliant, Robert said, looking at Victor with pride. Samson nodded their head appreciatively. Well done. Maybe you'll get into the espionage hobby too. Unlikely, Victor said. I prefer dancing and drinking, thank you. Victor led the way through the gravestones of Highgate, across the twisting paths covered in overgrown foliage. The moon was bright, but the dark trees cast moody shadows over the mysterious graveyard. Everyone kept their weapons out and their eyes alert as they moved through the serene gravestones. But everything was calm and undisturbed. The only sounds coming from the wildlife that lived deep within Highgate's depths. After a few minutes, they arrived at the gravestone as indicated by Victor and put down their duffel bags. Samson secured the area, checking behind all the nearby trees and graves, while the rest of them examined the gravestone. The rowan tree was large and dark, with its roots gnarled deeply into the ground, breaking through some of the nearby grave markers. The moon was visible through its branches, making its way up into the night sky and casting its soft light across the mossy stones. Below it was a large rectangular stone and a plaque which said, Here lies old Mary Walford. She will be missed. Victor cocked his head and looked at the words. That's a bit of an odd gravestone, he said. No dates or anything. They sometimes did that in the old days, Jin said, glancing up at the plaque as she began unzipping her bags, especially for witches. You think she was a witch? Victor asked. If she's guarding this, almost definitely, Jin replied. Samson returned and nodded to the group that the coast was clear and they all relaxed a little. So now what? Robert asked as he peered curiously into Jin's bags. She was assembling a small collection of herbs, bottles, bowls, and crystals onto the ground in front of Mary's grave. Well, I guess we wait till midnight. Jin said with a shrug. 
don't you have to like do a magic ritual or something? Robert asked. Yes, but specifically it says to do it when the midnight moon rises above the rowan tree, she said, pointing at the moon. As you can see, we've got at least an hour before that, maybe more. Oh, Robert said. So what do we do? I guess we just wait, Samson said, frowning. I don't like it. There's nothing we can do, Jin said. Honestly, I thought it would take us much longer to find the grave. Victor looked at them with a scowl and got out his cigarettes. I'm not going to apologize for being efficient, he said. Nor should you, Jin said with a smile. A little patience never hurt anyone. Samson's glare begged to differ, but nevertheless, they put down their crossbow and awkwardly sat down on the grass near the gravestones. The rest of them followed Samson's example, and Victor passed a cigarette to Robert. Luckily, I brought tea and biscuits, just in case, Jin said with a grin, as she pulled a thermos and a roll of cookies out of her duffel bag. Scene. Highgate Cemetery, a few hours later. The tea and cookies were long gone. Victor was almost out of cigarettes, and Samson looked ready to stab someone, when at last Jin saw a sliver of moonlight dance across Mary's grave. It's time! Everybody up! She declared, leaping up and brushing the cookie crumbs off her lap. Samson leapt to attention, grabbing their crossbow and circling the perimeter, as Jin began frantically grabbing herbs and picking up magical tools. What's she doing? Robert whispered to Victor. Victor shrugged. No idea. I didn't pay attention. Jin rolled her eyes at their conversation as she set fire to a small bundle of herbs. She looked up at the rowan tree, and when nothing happened, she quickly extinguished the herbs. I'm trying the valerian, of course, she snapped. The book told us that we needed the herb valerian to open the tomb, so I'm trying it, in different ways. I tried burning it and rubbing it into the grave. I have it powdered and dry and fresh. I even have a live one, she said, holding up a small potted plant with tiny white flowers. Do you need any help? Robert asked, watching with interest as she sprinkled a dried root into a bronze bowl and lit it on fire, the wispy smoke curling up into the air. No, Jin said, just be ready to go as soon as something happens. We don't know what Mary will be like or what she will want. Be prepared for anything. How does one prepare for anything? Robert whispered to Victor. Beats me, Victor said with a bored shrug. Probably best to just get your dagger out and wait. Robert nodded and did as he was told. Jin tried a few more things, reciting an incantation from Spellbook and drawing runes in chalk on the gravestone to no effect. Finally, she pulled a thermos out of her bag. More tea? Robert asked, surprised. No, this is hot water for the herbs, she said. Then she carefully laid a bundle of dried herbs across Mary's grave and poured the hot water over them. It sizzled in a satisfying way as the water dripped down the sides of the stone and onto the grass. 
Robert gasped as he saw something change, and Jin whipped her head up to look at the rowan tree. The small glowing orb looked like it was made entirely of moonlight, barely tangible, and yet it moved in a way that moonlight never did. The glowing light got brighter and stronger as it moved towards the spot where Jin had poured the hot water on the Valyrian. The orb had a long string of light streaming out behind it, connecting it to the branches of the tree. As it got closer, the light shifted into an image of an elderly woman in Victorian dress, with a large bonnet on her head and small round eyeglasses. Mmm, Valyrian, my favorite, said a strange sounding voice that could only be Old Mary. Oh, um, hi, Jin said, suddenly awkward. Uh, how are you? Victor stepped forward. Let me do the talking, eh, doll? He said to Jin. Good evening, madam. I hope we have not disturbed you, Victor said, suddenly the picture of a polite Victorian gentleman. He bowed his head in deference to the flickering, ghostly image. Mmm, the smell of Valyrian is never a disturbance, dear, especially if it comes with a handsome gentleman, the ghost said. She was clearly pleased with Victor's manners. Why are you here, young man? I'm not young, my dear, Victor said with a grin. But that doesn't matter. We are hoping to get your help. My friends and I seek the Dagger of Anshi. Mmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, old Mary said, looking over the objects Jin had assembled on the gravestone. And are you the witch who summoned me, boy? I'm afraid not, madame, Victor said politely. But nevertheless, I am asking for your help to find the dagger. Hmm, vampires are nice, but I will only make a deal with a witch, Mary said, lowering her eyeglasses to look at the other two. So, who summoned me? Jin stepped forward nervously looking at her shoes. Everything about her demeanor suggested a kid in the principal's office, not a powerful witch. Uh, I did, ma'am, she said anxiously. I'm so, I'm so sorry to disturb you. Mary gazed at Jin for a long time before she said anything. You're barely a witch, little angel girl, she said, pointing at Jin's wings. You should be stronger before you mess around with things you don't understand. I'm, I'm so sorry, madame, Jin said, not looking up. We are in desperate need of the dagger. Hmm. I don't believe you can wield that dagger, angel girl, Mary said. She looked over the group of ragtag vampires and their assorted bags and magical equipment for a minute, then continued. But that's not my business. I can still make a deal for the right price. What's the price? Victor asked suspiciously. Shush, pretty vampire boy, she said. I'm talking to the witch now. I will pay your price, Jin said softly. Victor gasped. Jin, you don't even know what it is. 
You know how witches are. I know we need the dagger, and she's how we get it, Jin replied. Show her some respect, Victor. Hmm, good girl, Mary cooed happily. You're smarter than I thought. Jin looked up. What do I do? Oh, nothing too much, nothing too much, Mary said, looking over the assembled objects with a gleam in her eye. She caught sight of something and gasped with excitement before she realized her mistake and regained her composure. I, I think I'll be having that valerian plant you've got there, she said, the excitement barely contained. Oh, plant it at the foot of my rowan tree and put a little drop of your blood on it. Just one drop should be enough. I accept, Jin said solemnly and picked up the plant. Victor stopped her with a hand on her arm. Are you sure you should do this? He whispered. Yes, Jin said without hesitation. She shook him off and carefully walked the small plant over to the tree. Mary's ghost drifted along beside her, tittering happily and sniffing the valerian. Jin crouched down at the foot of the tree and quickly dug a shallow hole, gently taking the plant out of its pot and burying it at the foot of the tree. She covered its roots over with the soft dirt and pulled a small ceremonial dagger from her pocket. She pricked the tip of her finger and squeezed a single drop of blood onto the little white flowers. The plant began to shake like it was in a strong wind, blowing from side to side violently. Jin looked up in alarm, but Mary was not concerned. Her face was filled with elation and joy. Mm, thank you, dearie. I'll be opening the tomb for you now. Mary said, her eyes fixed on the wildly dancing plant. Victor wondered what it all meant and if this would come back to haunt them, but there was nothing to be done now. Old Mary's ghost was already climbing back up into the tree, muttering to herself. The tomb opened with a loud creaking sound, the large stone sliding back to reveal a stairway leading straight down into the darkness. Jin gulped and looked up at Victor. This is one of those times when it's really helpful to have someone as courageous as you around, she said. Some people would call me foolish, so I appreciate that, doll, Victor replied, taking her hint and stepping forward with his knife and lantern in front of him. He gave Robert a wink and disappeared down the stairwell. Victor descended the stairs slowly, testing each stair gingerly with his foot as he went. You could never be too careful with ancient enchanted tombs. But the stairs were normal, if a little bumpy, and he arrived soon enough at the bottom. He held the lantern up to peer into the small room, grasping tightly to his knife as he moved forward. He looked around and breathed a sigh of relief. There was no one there and nothing coming out to attack him. He whistled once up the stairs to signal the others and then began to explore the tomb. 
In the middle of the room was a stone casket on a raised dais with small symbols carved into it, glowing faintly. Otherwise, the room was mostly bare, dusty and full of cobwebs, except for the back wall. Inset into the wall was a glass window display, which glowed brightly with a green light. Behind the glass was two objects, nestled safely onto beds of soft velvet. On one side, a gleaming knife with a bejeweled handle and a twisting blade. On the other, a small leather-bound book with a symbol he did not recognize on the cover. Wow, Robert said in a hushed voice behind him. Victor turned around to see Robert and Jin examining the room. Where's Samson? Victor asked. They're keeping watch at the top of the stairs. They said to whistle if we need help, Jin replied. She set down the bag she was carrying with a loud clanking noise. What's in the bag? Robert asked. Lockets, of course, Jin said, holding up two handfuls of various types of lockets on long metal chains. Robert nodded. Of course, the instructions. Swain's Valerian and lock it. Exactly, Jin agreed, holding up one of the necklaces in the glow from the glass cabinet. Now we just need to figure out what the locket is for. Probably this, Robert said, pointing to a small indent in the stone right below the glass. Oh my goodness, you're right, Jin exclaimed, scurrying up to the wall and holding up lockets to begin measuring. We just need to find one of the correct size. I'll help, Robert said, crouching down to sift through the bag with her. While Jin and Robert fussed with the locket, Victor paced the room anxiously, a bad feeling growing in his bones. He hated small spaces like this, but that wasn't the only reason he was worried. Something felt off, and he didn't like it. This was way too easy for something as powerful as the Dagger of Anshi. He began inspecting the room carefully with his lantern, testing the walls for trapdoors or hidden buttons, but nothing was out of the ordinary. He approached the dais warily, his knife in hand in case someone jumped out of the casket, but it appeared firmly closed and nothing changed as he ran his hands along the edge of it. He set the lantern down on top and then he saw something. Words were carved in the lid of the casket, not just symbols, but readable words. He saw the word witch and immediately began wiping away the dust. It was hard going. The dirt and grime had layered into the stone through the decades and was not easy to clear away. He was busy rubbing at the corner of the word dagger when Jin and Robert finally found a locket that matched and he heard a soft click as it slotted into place. Jin, Robert, and Victor all stared at the glass and held their breath, waiting to see what the locket would do. They waited a long time, until finally, Robert said, I don't think it worked. I agree, Jin said with a sigh, drooping her shoulders. It's probably because of this, Victor said, tapping the casket lid. Jin and Robert rushed over and read the text, helping Victor clear away the last bits of debris. The words were instructions on how to open the cabinet and a warning to those who hoped to steal the dagger. 
It gave an incantation to be recited by two witches, and the promise that anyone not worthy of wielding the dagger would cause a magical alarm to sound, which would surely wake Mrs. Whitaker's coven. Well, this is terrible, Jin said with a sigh. Indeed, Victor said, looking at the inscription. How would one even determine if you were worthy of the dagger? What does that mean? Is there some kind of test for that? I doubt we'll even get that far, Jin moaned. It says you need two very powerful witches, and we don't even have one. What do you mean? Robert asked. She's being dramatic, Victor said, rolling his eyes. She thinks she's not good at being a witch. I'm not, Jin said firmly. I just get lucky sometimes. But it doesn't matter anyway. We don't have a second witch. I could try, Robert said amiably. Jin looked at him, surprised. I know you want to help, but it clearly says we need two witches to read the incantation to unlock the cabinet. I understand, Robert said, and I might be able to help. When my sister Violet was learning witchcraft with Liren, I helped her with spells a few times. It was fun. Jin raised her eyebrows. That's not really how witchcraft works. Magical abilities are something you're born with. You need to have magic in your blood. And then you need to train and practice your skills. Are you sure you actually did magic? Not just like handed her supplies or something? Definitely, Robert said. I guess I have magic in my blood, he shrugged. It makes sense since my sister has magic, doesn't it? I suppose, Jin said skeptically, although family bloodlines are not always an indicator of power. Can we stop with the family tree and just try something already? Victor asked, looking anxiously up the stairwell. He felt instinctively that they had already been down here way too long. Yes, of course. Sorry, Jin said nervously. I think I'm a little out of my depth here, if I'm being honest. Victor looked at her and saw nervous worry all over her face. He sighed, brushing his hair out of his eyes and looking at the glass skeptically. Are you sure I can't just punch it? He asked. It's just glass, isn't it? Don't be absurd. It's a magical barrier, Jin said. I'm going to try. Victor announced, and before anyone could stop him, he ran headlong at the cabinet and slammed his fist into the glass. Well, he tried to anyway. His hand barely touched the glass before he was knocked backwards violently by an invisible force hitting into the wall and falling down to the floor. He stood up slowly, shaking out his coat and checking if he was bleeding. Never mind, he muttered. Maybe you'd better let Robert do the spell with you, Jin. Why not try, Robert said, turning to Jin. Magic belongs to everyone, right? Why not us? Let's give it a shot, and if nothing happens, we can figure something else out. Jin frowned. Hmm. Magic is strange. Sometimes the risk isn't obvious, but I guess you're right. We have to try. She carefully took Robert's hand and then placed her other hand on the cabinet lock. Robert read the incantation and Jin repeated it along with him, slowly chanting the words over and over. Victor watched them 
the sound of the magic spell filling the room, and soon he saw a small light begin to form between their bodies. Suddenly, they heard a loud cracking sound and shouting voices from above the tomb. Robert stopped chanting, and the light ebbed away. What's going on? he asked. Victor dashed to the stairs. I don't know, but don't stop saying that spell. It's working, and if we're being attacked, we may need that dagger right away. Robert nodded and resumed his chanting with Jin, his eyes going wide as the light between them grew bigger and began to flow in twisting tendrils down their arms and into the locket on the wall. Victor went to the bottom of the stairs and looked up, trying to use his supernatural eyesight to spot Samson. But it was too far away. He was too distracted by the magic happening behind him and the noises of fighting above. He couldn't focus his mind to see better, so he just tried whistling up the stairs, hoping Samson would send the answering call back to let him know they were safe. No call came back, but he heard a noise. A loud thud and then a clattering sound as Samson's crossbow tumbled down the long staircase and landed at Victor's feet. And so we come to the end of another dramatic episode. The magical dagger is almost in reach, but one must wonder if it will be enough to save Samson from whoever is in the cemetery above. You've been listening to All Vampires Are Gay. This episode was created, written, and performed by Corwin Rosewood. Produced and composed by Parker Frost with additional production, mixing, editing, and engineering by the team at Studio Gorwin. If you enjoyed this episode, consider supporting our show today so we can make more episodes in the future. You can find all the ways to support us at corwinrosewood.com. Thank you for listening.